Good afternoon, everybody. This is episode seven of Pat's Interference. Thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Got so much to cover. There were so many headlines this week in college football, more than I can ever remember. We're going to try to get to everything. Alabama versus Arkansas, Alabama versus A&M, both USC coaches leaving. We're going to get to it all. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode seven. What is good, everyone? It is Tuesday, October 13th, 2015. This is episode 7 of Pat's Interference Podcast. A lot to talk about. Basically, the day of reckoning was yesterday afternoon across the college football land. Really, we could fill three hours with this podcast. But for now, I'm Patrick Brickman. And I'm Patrick Norwood. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Again, a lot to talk about. I mean, we got Nick Chubb, we got Will Greer, we got Sarkeesian, we got Spurrier, and not to mention just the Alabama game. So, like I said, we could do multiple podcasts with all this, but let's make it all into one. We'll try to keep it nice, quick, concise for you. We got to get to this Arkansas game from this past weekend first, which almost feels like it's flying under the radar at this point with everything that's going around around the college football world, doesn't it, though? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was just... You know, and and that game, I I honestly think will be a lot like last year's Arkansas game, where it's something that it's not a painful memory at all. But it was it was a game that I think Alabama fans and players and coaches especially realize, wow, we should have beaten that team a lot worse than we did. We still won by 13 points. I mean, and one of their touchdowns was very, very late in the game. But just the first 44 minutes of the game, Patrick. Yeah, I mean, all the way down to the last minute of the third quarter, we were all sweating. I mean, the offense was just sort of despicable. I mean, I felt like so I was watching what, the Ole Miss game again. I really did. What went wrong there? Uh, I, You know, I think a lot of it was – I know I'm hard on Kiffin. I get it. I get it. Yes, I really do. Are. And I know that some weeks I love him. Uh, the Georgia week, I loved him. Uh, he ran the ball a little bit more in the Georgia week. But, you know, that's not something that I'm going to harp on too much. But it's just the inconsistency of play calling, Patrick. It's, it's the fact that it's – first and 10 and we're throwing it 30 yards downfield when is well, that how many ever times are we going to run that jet toss sweep to to the wide receiver that's actually uh, a pass I, I guess until we fumble because <laughs> i because it's not because you know we're going to stop once we start getting negative yards on it but I, i'm well, sick of it man and <laughs> that play has play gotten call. to the point to where when we do run it and it's successful and we get like 12 yards it actually upsets me because i think that's giving him yeah. permission to run yeah. it more i don't want to give kiffin confidence in that play uh but you know it, i mean I don't know. I, I know I'm hard on him, and you, you brought up a good point, and I, I'm very, very hard on him. Uh, and when I rewatched the game, I realized a lot of it was more execution and less play calling. But, Patrick, there were still some drives in that game where, you know, it's third and seven, and we're running a four-yard button hook. Uh, I mean, I just I don't understand it. I don't understand uh, passing the ball at first and goal from the three. We have yeah. two of the biggest oh, – yeah running backs and i'm not saying we did that in the arkansas game i can't remember a time when we did that um well actually those first two drives yes i can uh you know first and goal at the seven or eight and we're coming out slinging i I just i don't understand it um now i will commend arkansas they did a great job of shutting down derrick henry early but i also think that's a knock against kiffin for not trying to run him outside more uh coker played ugh, gross i mean it just it looked bad it looked really bad in my opinion uh, until the big pass uh, to Calvin Ridley, which we're going to get into in a minute. Um, that you know, second quarter of Coker was probably the worst that I've seen him so far. He, he played okay the first quarter, because, but various circumstances and time of oh, possession, he didn't have much great. to do. 
the that first drive, second he was great. quarter was he just he didn't. And like I said, I was at the FSU game when this game was live, so I went back and I rewatched this uh, twice through. Thank goodness for DVRs and, and fast forward buttons. But yeah, that second quarter was the worst that we've seen out of our starting quarterback. I agree. I agree. And you know, it was a little frustrating. The inconsistency. Um, it's just, it's a little frustrating on all sides of the ball. Um, offensively, I should say, it's just, it's very inconsistent. I feel like when something's successful, we don't run it enough. And when something isn't successful, we keep forcing it. Uh, and we don't need Jake Coker to be this great quarterback. We don't need him to be a Brett Favre. We don't need him to even be an AJ McCarron. We need him to just be a guy who's not going to screw up the game for us. Just go in there, bud, and don't screw up the game. Although I will say, he's I don't think that they were asking too much of him this game. I just think he played really poorly. Uh, I don't even think that the play calling... I don't like the jet toss sweep pass, maybe ex- anything more than once per game. And then every now and then we fake it and run it up the middle. I love that. Do, it, do that one time and one time. But no, like Coker throws these uh, long arm punts. They're not, yeah. they're not deep throws. They, he just throws it up. And I know he got drilled on one of them, but he just... He just throws it up down, there. His deep man. ball is just hang on if, to unless the ball and go unless down. the guy's wide open, the deep ball goes nowhere. Right. I mean, just go down. I don't understand why he feels the need to throw it. Why? You lose four yards if you get sacked, and I get that that sucks. And but I mean, if it's on second or third down, just go down, man. I mean, it's okay. You know, have trust. You know, have faith in your defense. Um, which Patrick, let's get into that now a little bit. Um, oh, one more thing. I know no one's going to be shocked by hearing this, but good Lord, Adam Griffith. Mr. 50-50. What do we have to do, man? I mean, he is a metaphor for the entire offense because it's like some weeks he walks in and I'm like, damn, dude's feeling it today. All right, let's go for it. Uh, You know, let's let's send him out there. He's always feeling it in warm-ups. That's what I've heard. (laughs) I I mean, seriously, there was people I know at the game the other day that said he walked out for second half warm-ups and he's drilling 50 yarders straight down the pipe but then he but misses no. the 27 i mean it's 27 yarder and then the 48 yarder was closer than the 27 yarder was which i don't understand i don't understand how you can do that like physically like science do that how is that even physically possible for you okay to do? so before we move on to the positives I think that that first half, if I'm wrapping it up, was was just kind of a calamity of... I, I mean, some of it was bad play calling, but I think the worst the play calling ever got was against Ole Miss. I think this was more Coker making bad plays, the blocking not be there at times when we really needed it to, like third and two, stuff like that, and then Griffith missing field goals. And little things add up like that to make it look way worse, the game... The, make the game look like way worse than it was, because for three quarters, we did nothing drive stopped and all this but anyway so we can't get into the positives of the the game and there were some positives and there was actually one big positive i think was better than any negative and that was the uh defense i mean look good lord i the way they showed up and they keep showing up and they showed up against georgia and they showed up uh if you ask me against every team we've played pretty much this year and it's, it's gotten to the point where I don't even feel like they're having ups and downs. It's all ups. They gave up the t- the one long touchdown was a fluke, and then before that, the only touchdown they gave up was when uh, Ole Miss, not Ole Miss, Arkansas got the ball at the 12-yard line. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. all game, three and out punt. I, they must have punted a hundred times, I swear. Yeah. The defense looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, they look they look really, really, really strong. Um, and, you know, there's just there's not a whole heck of a lot that I can think of 
defensive. Now I will say, so you go back and you think through all the games where the defense has played great. Okay, so that's Wisconsin, Ole Miss, not really. MTSU, pretty well. ULM, very well. Uh, the rest of the games, pretty much very well. Georgia, and now Arkansas. What do all those teams that they played well against have in common? They ran snaps from under center, and they didn't go to the spread. Yeah, we haven't seen a spread team yet. I mean, and Ole Miss I, is kind of a spread team now and the, now and again. And that's what scares me about next week, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. And I'm not knocking this defense at all. If you ask me, I think this is the best defense that Saban has had with the exception of the 2011 team. Um, I think they're stronger than the 2009 team. I think they're, they're deeper than the 2012 team. Because you remember that 2012 team, Patrick, their downfall was the fact that they couldn't rotate guys in. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I the mean, depth now, wasn't there from 2011. Now you look at this defense, and it's like every play, there's an entire new defense on the field. The yeah, we team... saw we saw Rashawn Evans make some plays. Tim Williams come out. I mean, I haven't we haven't seen much from those guys yet. They both made yeah. huge plays in this game. Both had but sacks. The, the leaders, Patrick, um, you know, oh, yeah. Ragland, Cyrus Jones, Eddie Jackson, these these kind of older veteran guys that are in there um, that are really, you know, Jonathan Allen, that are really just making the big plays. They're carrying uh, the team. They're carrying the offense. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, that, was, that concerns me. It really does, because what happens, you know, defense has an off day next week. Are we going to come in here on our, you know, on episode eight and blame the defense for the loss? No. No, of course not. So, I don't know. It just, it concerns me a little bit, but at the same time, I know that if the offense just takes care of business, I don't, I, I'm not worried about the defense. I'm really not. I'm a little worried because it's a spread offense. It's a hurry-up offense. We know what Sumlin likes to run. Um I don't think it'll look anything like last year as far as, you know, the outcome is concerned, but I wouldn't be surprised if Texas A&M does not score a lot of points against this Alabama defense this week. I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be. They can do it against anyone. They didn't last year, but they can do it against anyone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to talk players of the game here, and I think we both have guys from the defense, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think I'm speaking for you. Who's your guy? Uh, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to talk about Eddie Jackson. I know uh, that, Y'all probably just heard us say from the defense, and you're thinking, wait, what about that one really good wide receiver? But we're going to get into him in a minute, I promise. But uh, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to say Eddie Jackson. Uh, the interception was outstanding. Um, you know, That was really all, the clincher, if you ask me. Yeah, and on all of his picks this year, Patrick, it's not your average defensive back interception. And what I mean by that is it's not a ball that was thrown directly to him. He's making good jumps on these balls. And they're not body catches. A lot of he them aren't body Yeah, catches. he looks really comfortable he's back there. catching him with his hands, and then he's getting upfield. And that's what I really like. I really like seeing Eddie get upfield. Um, he's really coming out as a leader on this defense. And, you know, I, I told you episode one, I felt like if Eddie Jackson had a couple of games where he could get his confidence in, he would be really valuable to this team the rest of the season. And I think that's what we're seeing happening. Uh, but who who is your player of the game? Who are you picking? Well, Eddie Jackson, I love how he's coming along. I love that he looks comfortable because I was skeptical about him playing safety because he's been so up and down, but he looks great. Uh, my player of the game, I think, is the leader of the team, the best player on our team. I think he can be put up in there with the pantheon of linebackers now that Saban is coached, with the Rolando McClain down to Dante Hightower, Courtney Upshaw, C.J. Mosley, all Mosley. these guys yep. that just come. I think I'm putting him in that group now especially after this game is the one that convinced me reggie raglan is just money man uh, he's yeah. he, the, he's leading the defense he's making plays he's not making many mistakes and he's just he's always around the ball he's always getting back to the quarterback 
I didn't see him as much of a pass rusher until this year, and then now he's getting after the quarterback. <laughs> the one great call I remember, um, the, the, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but uh, I heard him it, when, when he – fourth quarter, I want to say. Brandon Allen's looking left, looking right, looking at the turf. It was that quick. He just got yeah. there and brought him down. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, love well, that call. And it, my um, anyway, yeah, he's he's our best player. If you he's ask good. me uh, from he's top solid. to bottom, he's number one. If this he's was a game solid. of NCAA football 2016, he would be the top guy on that Alabama depth chart. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and another thing about him is he hits hard. He doesn't just hit you. He hits you hard. And I he felt hits like you right, time, too. I, I, I feel like with C.J. Mosley – especially it was he was very very agile at right when you thought the quarterback was going to escape he would wrap an arm around his thigh and bring him down and i'm not sure that reggie raglan has that sort of uh mentality that cj mosley did but what i think no, he, he comes and gets you he comes and gets you is when he tackles you you feel it i mean there were some times the other night when brandon allen i mean it's enough to get tackled by reggie raglan but then to have him land on your chest as you're falling down oh yeah oof. Oof. I mean, that hurts, uh, you know, and so I think uh, I got to agree with you. I, I think he's the best player on that defense, hands down. I saw a tweet the other night. I forgot who tweeted it, um, but they said that uh, Reggie Ragland's going to make Bill Belichick very happy. And I agree with <laughs> oh that. Oh, my gosh. I, I think, stop. I, no, oh, I'm no. serious. Come on. Uh... You, you really think Reggie Ragland is going to, A, go high in the first round, and, B, that Bill Belichick isn't already watching his game tape. Or Guys, I'm a Dolphins like that. fan. That's why I'm groaning here because I, it's so, and, it's going to happen. Okay, then insert the Packers then. Insert, you know, the Seahawks. Somebody good is going to get him late, and he's going to be one of those guys that comes in and makes an immediate impact. Already uh, like Dante Hightower, I still don't know how he said, hey, did you see this video? I think it was trending on Twitter of, uh, of Arkansas's coach Brett or yes. Burt Bielema. Yes. <laughs> What Bert. A, big old I don't Bert. know. I don't know if the viewers have seen it. If you have, it's worth. If you haven't, it's worth googling. Basically, the synopsis of this video. What happened was, there was a play. It was right after the second second Coker interception, maybe the first, but it was uh, after one of the interceptions. And Anum, you know, runs down. They're they're returning it. They go to the sideline. There's kind of a, a sideline collision. They slide. Well, Brett Bielema, knowing about Cam Robinson and his reputation of being a little bit of a a hothead. Um, goes and he instigates him and he gets in his face and puts his arm on him and when Cam yeah. robinson kind of from what i see kind of shoved his arm off of him what brett does is he he flops he does a lebron and he flops yeah, backwards lebron yeah the ref exactly. sees that throws the flag and then he does a little jig and dances like a kid dude Norwood, he danced what'd you like think a cave troll he danced like a little cave troll who had just gotten all of your gold uh it was people were so mad about it patrick and the thing and i was too at first this but would have been really... bigger news if, if all, all the stuff hadn't broken yesterday. He's lucky. Yeah. Oh, it's like I told you yesterday. I, I texted you and I said, if this were a marquee coach, if this were a Saban, this was before the Spurrier news, which we're going to get into, but, the, the, you know, Spurrier, Harbaugh yeah, Can you imagine now. Urban Meyer pulling this off? Oh, my God. The, the nation would lose their minds. They'd be calling for their job. I mean, it's just – it's ludicrous. But that's what it's makes me laugh so hard about it is the fact that nobody even cares that much about Brett Bielema. To because the point we where they're going to make this a big deal. It's expected of him, and he's a joke. He's a, he threatens no one. Brett, I know you're not listening to this, but a part of me hopes you are. You're a joke, okay? You're a joke. No one ever thinks of you as a serious threat. Uh, I used to laugh at you when you were outside of the SEC and you made comments towards us. Now you're inside the SEC, and you're making me laugh even more by the way that your team plays. Because One, you can't win. 
And then, two, when you're on the field, you're making a fool of yourself. And this is a grown man we're talking about. A grown man that's supposed to be teaching these guys how to play and be men and go out there and win, like... And have character. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And then he goes out there, and this is, like, the thing that the little kid you're playing uh, touch football with in the backyard, he would cheat. It's it's that, you know, that little spoiled kid on the street that would... It's a grown man dancing around like a child because he instigated a 20-year-old into throwing an arm at him, like shoving yeah. his arm off of him. Yeah, Brett Bielema is the... And then that was a big call because that gave him the ball at the 12. That was the one that led to their really only real touchdown of the game, if you ask me, so... Yeah, and you know what? You and I talked before the season about Alabama's defensive points against at the end of the season, the average, and I gave you a number 12 to 16. I was really pissed because he's ruining my average. He's ruining your average. That team almost gave up seven points that game. That would have been huge for their average, but no. Brett the Troll Bielema has to go in there and show his ass, and then all of a sudden they've got the ball down at the 12 and they punch it in, you know? Uh, that last play by Arkansas on that drive, I will say, uh, and I want to commend Brandon Allen, too. Played a very, very – I mean, that's a hard game to play, man. Alabama yeah. on the road, that's hard. And he went 15 for 32, 176 yards, two touchdowns but one pick. But what I was going to say was the uh, the play that they called to get in the end zone to score uh, – no one on the tight end. It was a great play. You know, I, yeah, I hate admitting it because good it's call. against Alabama, obviously, but it was a great play. Uh, Brandon Allen has all my respect. Um, I've, I've always been a fan of the kid. I think he plays the game hard, um, and I think he really, really wants to do everything that he can do for his school. Uh, so, Brandon Allen, if you're listening to this with Brett, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan, man. I, I hope you do really well. I don't see big plans in your future, but, you know, I, I like you. You're okay in my book. Um yeah, so let's let's get away from that, Patrick. Midpoint of the season, okay? Uh, you know, it's it, we're on episode seven, by the way. Episode seven for us. Thank you so much for listening, by the way, Lucky Patrick. Thank you for seven. sticking with me. I can't believe that we've done seven of these. But anyway, I would follow you to the ends of the earth. I I, I agree. I agree. This is too much fun. How could we not do this? Anyway, right. <laughs> so midway point. Five and one. Uh, we're looking at a five and one point. team. Five and one. Two and one in SEC play. Patrick, since week one, uh, you know, we, we think back to all the questions we had. I don't think I even want to discuss the defense right now. They're they're everything we've thought, you know, they are who we thought they were. Um, but, you know, I, I do want to talk about the offense. I, I want to get into Coker and Derrick Henry. Have they exceeded your expectations or have they performed below your expectations for this season? Slightly below. And I say that because the talent is there and um... – you know, they are the team that we thought they were going to be on offense as far as what I think their identity is, question mark. Um, we're running the ball well, and I don't know, Coker's been up and down, which a lot of people kind of expected, and a lot of people didn't expect Coker to start. But the reason I give them slightly below average is because we are at the midway point. Um, luckily, we are 5-1 and one, um, because our offense has yet to, in my opinion, establish an identity. In my in my eyes, and there's no cons- there's not consistency because one week they look like world beaters, and then the next week they go out and they do that against Arkansas. And the funny thing yeah. is, the bad games uh, are coming on at home, and the good games, other than ULM, are really, you know, I don't, I just need to see more consistency. I want to see us. I want to be able to rely on the offense, and I have to pray to the lucky stars that our defense saves us and saves us and saves us until they finally get it together because we yeah. got a big game and we have several big games. There's a bunch of teams that are going to come in 
perfectly prepared against us because they're coming off buys. And it's going to be tough if, if every week we're relying only on the defense and hoping against hope that by the third, fourth quarter, we can put together a few scores. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's I mean, the way I see us. I think, I think the team is, is coming along fine, but it's not, uh, it needs, I need to see more consistency. I need to see a real identity be established before we end this big run. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, one of our listeners. Um, and I said, you know, it, it frustrates me because I know how good this, like you said, this team can be. It's, it's frustrating because you look at guys like, I mean, Patrick, we're sitting here talking about Jacob Coker like he's terrible. He's a good freaking quarterback, man. That ball he put in the air to uh, Calvin Ridley the other night was on the money. That's a hard throw to make. And he made he's it. He's good. The tools. Oh, yeah. The easy. tools are there. It's that slow decision making process. And uh, frankly, and some bad decisions. Yeah, and that's kill what him. frustrates me. I mean, it just frustrates me because I, I see how good and I see how the how good the defense is. And I'm worried they're not going to get they're not going to be remembered and they're not going to have the recognition that they had. And the person that I was talking to, uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. He, he was my dad. Uh, my dad's probably the biggest Alabama fan I know, uh, besides me and you, of course. Um, and I asked him, I said, has there ever been a team like this that you can remember um, that the defense was so good, but the offense was just not there? And he said, you know, yeah, I was thinking about that on the way home from the game the other night. And the team that popped in my head won a national championship under Gene Stallings. He said the 1992 defense was so unstoppable and no one really had an answer for anything they did. And the offense was good, but it wasn't anywhere near the caliber that people thought they should be to win a championship. And he said they did. And so, you know, that really that stuck out to me because I I hope we're saying the same thing at the end of this season. I think we could. I, I really do. I really think this team could win a national championship, but they've got to get their offense together now. Uh, this is this is the week where it needs to start this coming together. I agree with you. Uh, this is the week. You know, and uh, guys, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't predict uh, Alabama to win the national championship. I said they'd make it to the playoff. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't. I wasn't a huge believer. Uh, because I know that there's next year. I know that we've got so many young guys. I mean, so many young guys, Patrick, uh, that can go on and play really, really, really well for this team. I mean, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's talk about Calvin Ridley a little bit. Patrick, um, I, I watched him run that route the other night. Uh, and if you would have slapped a nine on the helmet and the jersey <laughs> and stripped the name off, I don't think I would have been able – and just show me the clip. I'm dead serious. I don't think I would have been able to tell you it wasn't Amari Cooper. It's the there. way you can tell he's been watching him, man. You can tell the way he's been he watching ran him. that route, the head fake, the hip movements, the pop, 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 and then just out. I mean, just gone, burned him. Uh, it was outstanding. It was outstanding. Looked the ball into his hands, coasted into the end zone. Looked exactly like Amari, you know. And um, I was talking to another listener, not my dad, but uh, another listener the other night. Um, and she was saying, yeah, you know, it's just, it's really weird because not only, I mean, they dress the same, Patrick. I, it's not just the fact that they <laughs> play the same. They both wear the sort of higher ankle socks, but not all the way to the knees. And they both just wear the gloves, nothing too fancy in the arms. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a spitting image. Um, well, so since you're making that comparison, I, I guess well, I'm just going to go ahead and ask you the question. How close to Amari Cooper can and will Ridley get? Yeah, 
I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, when I, I know it's asking you know, a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, another conversation I had with my dad the other night was he said when Julio Jones came in, I said I really need to watch this guy because I'm not sure I'm ever going to see another wide receiver like this. And he said, and then I had Amari Cooper. And then he said, you know, okay, well, I've got Amari. I need to really watch every move that he makes because I'm not sure we're going to get another Amari Cooper. And he said, and now we've got Calvin Ridley, and I just want to know when it's going to stop or if it's going to stop. And I agree. I mean, the the caliber of these wide receivers, Patrick, now – I am worried about Calvin Ridley being able to sustain a healthy, you know, it's it's just so hard in the NCAA right now. Um, I was going to say SEC, but all of college football, it's hard to stay healthy all well, the Cooper year. Cooper had an injury-riddled season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a down season. I mean, we talk about it like a down season. I think he was the second leading receiver on that team. Um, but, you know, it's just, I think Calvin Ridley at the end of the day, if he can stay healthy, is going to be one of those guys that... You know, maybe we put him in sort of like a big three category. Julio, Amari, nice. that would be Ridley. really, really nice. Um, so, I yeah. put him. I I like to see. Uh, I see a lot of freshman Amari Cooper in there when Cooper was looked upon to make some big plays. Maybe he's about eighty percent Cooper right now. He's close. I mean, he's still averaging uh, the last couple games over a hundred yards, and he's scoring a couple times a game here and there. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see this future. And there's some other guys that I'm excited to see. I've talked about them all year. I'm falling in love with them, is these young guys on defense. And each week, new guys get added to my group of dudes I love, which yep. last week was Tim Williams. I have, I didn't know really anything that much about Tim Williams. That dude's quick. Yeah. And you got Rashawn Evans. I know about Rashawn Evans because I followed his recruitment. And then, of course, the defensive backs that are still playing well. Um, Amazing. I want to see now the safeties. The safeties are really the next group I want to see. But it, like we're talking about here, by the way, we're still on this midway point of the season discussion. I think I am in I, – I love the way they've come along because they were question marks and now they're dependable. I'm putting them in a dependable category. Uh, Tim Williams and Rashawn Evans will see where they're coming. The linebackers are looking pretty good when they come in. Reuben Foster is looking, looking pretty good. And the defensive yeah. backs, they are dependable in my book now. I have no qualms yeah. with other teams throwing against us now. Throw all you want. Our dudes are going to take it down. Well, and at what point – are we going to stop putting some of these guys in for just packages? At what point do they stop becoming package guys and they've just become, you know, players? Uh, Marlon Humphrey is the one that sticks out in my mind. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a what dime package DB. Just throw him in there all the time. Why not? You don't think he can cover the best wide receiver in the nation. I do. I, will he, I don't know. Cause he's a little inexperienced, but I think he can. He started a couple games. Yeah, but you, you know what I mean. You I know don't what you see mean. him every play. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, I don't know. And I understand that there's a lot of rotating and stuff going on, but I would like to see more of him. That's what I'm saying. Uh, you know, so I, you know, as far as talking about next year, uh, I know we've gone into it a little bit. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I'm not pre- I'm not going to predict championships or records or anything. No, like that's that. that's that's stuff for a later podcast. But we are but, optimistic. But I, I'm very optimistic. I, I really am. I, I think that as long as the offense can keep up, uh, these defensive guys are going to go far. I really, really do. Um, all right, Patrick, let's get into the last topic we've got about Alabama um, before the entire implosion that was college football yesterday. Um, Texas A&M preview. Patrick, beginning of the season, I tell you, this is the game I'm worried about. I didn't think we'd lose to Ole Miss. I was wrong about that. Sorry to everybody who listened and thought that 
you know, they took my word as gold. I don't and know I laughed I at that. You. I laughed at you because of you last did. year's game. Yeah, but you, you know, but I thought about uh, Texas A&M. It's a newly renovated Kyle Field. Uh, they've got a very, you know, good quarterback. This guy, you know, now I, I know that Texas A&M only beat Arkansas by seven in overtime. But in that game, Kyle Allen went 21 for 28 with over 350 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he looked outstanding. Um, you know, you, you look at some of these receivers, Kirk, Reynolds, Carson, uh, you know. Oh, we're going to be talking Kirk versus Ridley for the next couple of years because Kirk is awesome. Kirk's very good. Kirk is very good. Uh, Carson, a running back, obviously, but, I, you know, he's just – my word. This team is just quick, and we haven't even gotten to their defense yet, uh, which uh, their pass rush is just has has really uh, improved. Remember, remember AM defense from the last couple of years where they were giving up like thirty points to teams like Rice. They don't do that's that. Not anymore. Anymore. No, they, they that's ha- not happening anymore. They have they struggle against the run, but their pass defense has greatly improved. And their pass rush, Miles Garrett, he is one of my favorite players in the SEC. Oh. If I'm if I'm being unbiased toward the team he plays on, yeah, uh, he is. Oh, was he a converted tight end? Converted something? Converted offensive lineman? Something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you he know, comes he... on and he was awesome last year, and he's just continuing it this year. And we were talking a little bit stuff that won't go in the podcast too much, but just like the impact he's going to have on the game and 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 how we want to alter him play calling and when we want to call certain plays, he's going to be a guy we have to stare at the whole game and worry about. Yeah, and I, I think that pass rush is something that's going to give Jake Coker fits if he can't, you know, get his head around it. Uh. I really hope he starts calling audibles this week. Uh, that's something that Blake Sims did a lot of last year that I haven't seen much from Coker and I think could be very, very pivotal in this game. Uh, Lane, if you're listening to this, listen, please listen to Patrick Brigman. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, run the ball, okay? Let's let's try that. Uh, and not from out of the pistol or the shotgun. Let's throw a fullback in there. Let's put Coker under center. Run Henry, even if he just gets three or four hard-earned yards. Give it to him again, man. Maybe, you know, maybe he just needs reps. I I don't know, Patrick. I just, I really, really hope that we see a lot of running on the ground and that when that happened in the Georgia game, it wasn't just because of weather, that it was because we saw something in the defense. I think the thing that we need to really focus the most on is just not overexposing Coker. And by that, I mean quit opening them up to third and longs early in the game. Uh, we gotta, we gotta get to third and short. That should be the goal. I'll, obviously, the goal should be first down every play, but we need to play call to realistically think. Let's get third and short if we're gonna get to third down. Uh, that yeah. by no means, because last game we saw at least one, maybe two drives where it was throw deep on first down incomplete, throw short on second down, and then you got like a third and eight, and then you then they ran it a couple times on third and eight. It's it's backward. I don't want to see that. Another thing that's really stressing me out over Texas A&M. I want you to kind of go into this because you, cause you you have seen the way we've played against these teams as much as I have. They play a spread offense, and everybody knows, and it's almost become kind of a uh, kind of a stereotype toward Alabama that I don't like, but there is some truth to it. We do struggle against offensive teams that run that spread. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, that's something that I, I mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, we haven't really seen that much this season. We saw it a little bit with Ole Miss, but – you know, I'm just – I'm not really convinced – I don't know. It's not that I don't think the defense can handle it. It's that we – I don't think they've seen it really, and it concerns me. Now, last year it kind of turned around and bit Texas A&M in the butt because we started running time off the clock in the first quarter, and then, you know, they look 
you know, we kick the ball off. They drive down the field, uh, or they try to drive down the field. I think they went, they had a first down, they went three and out the rest of the way through the first quarter. But that didn't matter because by the time they got the ball back, there was four minutes left in the first quarter. We ate up the entire first quarter. So I think if we really just dictate the pace of the game, uh, it's going to be really, really good. Uh, Patrick, go in a little bit to, you know, we mentioned the newly renovated Kyle Field. Uh, Jake Coker, not really affected by that in Athens. What do you think we can see or expect to see from him uh, in College Station this weekend? It's funny because, like I said, those are, most of our struggles have been at home. We've been road dogs this year. Jake Coker has been a road dog. In the road yeah. games, especially Georgia, we've come out, we've we've managed the game well, we've had great game planning. Uh, it's funny. I think – well, I think a lot of Georgia was the fact that we were underdogs. And this yeah. is pretty funny that we are favored in a game coming up against a team on the road that just came off a bye week that's also ranked higher than us. If we don't, if Alabama doesn't run college football, I don't know who does because we run this even when we don't. Anyway, we've been road dogs. I think that we still feel disrespected as a way falling down two spots. Nick Saban's going to use that as motivation. Um, and then if we are able to game plan well, I do actually expect a good game from Jake Coker because yeah. – of what I've seen so far this year. He's a guy that's going to need to step up. Uh, who are some guys that you feel need to really step up in this game? Adam Griffith. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not, that's I an mean, obvious one. I, I think that if this game comes down to a field goal, we need him to be confident enough to stand in there and knock it down. Uh, whether or not that happens, Lord knows, but we're, we're going to pray. Uh, that's I like think trying Adam to get Griffith... wet spaghetti to stick to a wall. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that... Uh, not a player, but a coach. I think Kiffin really, really needs to step up. And so does Kirby Smart. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's easy for us to sort of just say, oh, well, the defense is going to be fine because we've bragged about him this entire podcast. But, uh, you know, I, I just think without the right coaching, I don't, I don't want to look back at this game and say that we lost because of coaching. And that's my biggest fear. That and the motivation, because I think that this game is going to be one of those games that comes down to the turnovers. The team with more turnovers is the team that's going to lose, which means yeah. that we need to come out with our heads screwed on straight, which actually comes back to Saban, who, which is who I was going to say. It's weird to say Nick Saban needs to step up. I think he just needs to have the team motivated because Nick Saban never needs to step up. He brings his A game almost every week. So Well, it's like I mean, it's like I was talking to uh, with another listener um, a couple of weeks ago during the Georgia game. It's the first time that uh, Nick Saban and forever uh, had been able to use the term or the phrase, you know, we're an underdog. We are an underdog right now. Do you guys realize that they don't think you can do this? They think you can't get in there and win in Athens against Georgia? Are you kidding me? An SEC East team? They're talking that way about you? I mean, that would that would absolutely drive me insane if I were a player and I want to go kill somebody. We it's don't even have we... that this week. Yeah, uh, it's whenever wow. we get that inkling to like that inkling the the national media thinks we're going to lose, and the more people as the week goes on start to predict us to lose, that's when we yeah. get angry. And a lot yeah. of people are picking us to lose this weekend. Yeah, uh, you know I, I think it's going to be an interesting game. Patrick, go ahead, give me your score prediction. Who you got? Well, you know, I, I'm okay. So I'll say this: last year, we beat Arkansas by one, and then the week before we went on to beat Texas A&M by 59 nothing. So this year we beat Arkansas by 13. I'm going to put my final score as 767 to nothing. There you go. The math I, adds I up. It's, it's just math. math. It's, it's that's great good math. math. But on uh, a serious note, I'm picking 35-28. I don't want to give us field goals, so I'm just going to go straight touchdowns all game long. 
Um, and I think that the team that turns the ball over the most and the team that opens up the best is going to be the one that wins. That's going to be us, 35-28. Yeah, Patrick, we, we talk about the offensive struggles all year. Uh, here's an interesting little tidbit for you that um, I honestly was just sort of laying in bed this morning thinking about it and had to look it up on my phone. Uh, there has only been one game this season where Alabama's offense didn't score 30 points. Do you know when that was? Was that Wisconsin? No, it was last week against Arkansas. Alabama wins wow. the game 27-14. First time all season Alabama doesn't score 30 points. I'm going to go ahead and say that they go that they I'm I'm going to say that they don't this game. Uh because it's such a big game because it's on the road. Uh I'm going to say 27-21 Alabama wins. Um like I said, I think that uh I think that Adam Griffith is going to have to step up. I really do. I think he's got to knock down a couple field goals. Um, you either have a knocking down a couple field goals or missing an extra point, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I said that a couple weeks ago. I'll stand by that right now. Um, um, okay, so I want to move on, on here. Hold on, real quick, real okay. quick. Sorry, okay. just to interject before we move on. Uh, for those of you that listened a couple episodes again, uh, Victoria Sheehan last week, I asked her, score prediction, she nailed it. She called it, 27-14. I'm not kidding. She called uh, it? She called it on the money. Uh, wow. I was surprised. I thought we were going to score more points. I didn't think they were going to score that many, but she was pretty confident. Uh, I told her that I would give her kudos tonight. I made a promise. Uh, so there you go. Victoria Sheehan is your Vegas girl. If you need to uh, get a line in, get a bet in, I would go ahead and call her because uh, she apparently really knows her stuff with the score predictions. Patrick, let's move on. Let's get in. Yes. I mean, yesterday we got to talk about yesterday. Doomsday. I, I mean, the I day don't of reckoning. Know how to describe it. Uh, it felt like I was texting you. For those of you who don't know, obviously Patrick and I are really, really good friends. Uh, I text him every single time there's a headline in college football. I don't think there was a period of 30 minutes yesterday where you and I were not speaking. Nope. Uh, and it started with, with Will. It started with Florida, and it just kept going from there. Yeah. So, but we're we're gonna start um, sort of, uh, I guess, on a lighter topic or not lighter, but you know, just not so newsworthy. Uh, Patrick, who's your top three in the Heisman race right now? I think it's a battle between three running backs, which it's usually a quarterback's oh. trophy. We're seeing an odd uh, dip in quarterback play this year and a huge step up with some big names at the running back position. So I'm going to go, and I think a lot of people have him as the number one. Most people have him as the number one so far. Leonard Fournette, I think, is just doing the things that need to be done on and off the field right now that are getting him in the comp conversation because that's half the battle with the Heisman is dominating the conversation. So Leonard Fournette's getting that with the long touchdown runs and the things he's saying in the post game. Number two uh, is a guy that you actually didn't think really stood much of a shot, but I'm going to go Ezekiel Elliott because their quarterbacks have not been playing well and their offense has been dipping, but he's really carried them to some victories uh, in some late games. I think he's set himself with the name to now he could find himself in New York and he needs to just keep Ohio State needs to keep winning and then uh, he needs to hope that Fournette loses some games. Number three, this one might shock a lot of people. I don't know. I was at the game this weekend, FSU-Miami, and I will tell you, Dalvin Cook, their running back, is as good as any in the country. As as good of a running back that Florida State's had, the best they've had since work done. He is money. He does so many things well on the field, from catching the ball to blocking to – I mean, he is fast. He looks stocky, but he is a fast – fast fast running back that when he hits the open field he's gone he, yeah. he has he has more long touchdown runs this year than Fernando, i want to say or as many yeah. at least i mean 
I, I would agree with that. Uh, the only, the only reason I knock Dalvin Cook is the defense as he's playing. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I know it's a huge rivalry game, and I'm not knocking anything from that game. And I'm, I'm really proud of you, too, because that's a really cool thing to go witness. But uh, I, I just, I look at, it's Georgia Tech. You know, I mean, it's it's Miami's defense. And I, I know that they're they're good, but they're not great. They're not SEC defenses. I mean, Leonard Fournette is running over grown men. Uh, I don't know that Fournette's played a great defense yet. I, that's name a good me, point. Name me, a, name me a top defense. Syracuse no. was the best defense he's played so far because he's played Auburn uh, and he's played South Carolina. And I mean, it's Syracuse is the best he's played so far. I, I'm not. I, I don't know about that. I think we're going to see a lot about Leonard Fournette this weekend against Florida. I'll say yes, that. This I, is a telling, telling week for Fournette. I, I think you're you're sort of knocking Mississippi State's defense a little bit too much. Uh, they might I, be the best, but numbers I, wise, I want to say Syracuse is the best. I think when you also look at the numbers that Fournette has put up, uh, including the fact that he's played one game less than everybody else, uh, that's that's pretty astounding. That's um, huge. Yes. I, I, it's just that's that's pretty impressive. So I'm I'm gonna go my top three for the highs, and we're gonna spend too much time on this. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, Leonard Fournette, Trevon Boykin from TCU because everybody's he's, high on him, and like he's you my said, number, it's all he's about my number four. Uh, by four. I'm gonna go three A Devonte Booker, the running back out of Utah. Um, yeah. Kid's strong. Kid's strong, man, and you know. You could argue he hasn't played a great defense either. I'm not high on Utah right now. I don't think they've played too many good teams. I don't care that they kick crap out of Oregon on the road because Oregon's not that good this year. Sorry about it. Oregon fans, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I usually like you. I don't this year. You're not that good. You're not entertaining to watch. Uh, I'm going to go 3B Derrick Henry out of Alabama. Um, you know, I, I he got 95 yards last week, Patrick. And the when you look at it, him, the, the loss, loss hurts right him. now. But, but it won't hurt later in the year. I will say that. I, I, you know, I'm not really sure that it hurts him as bad as you do if Alabama, if Alabama can stay undefeated the rest of the season, because if they do, that means that LSU loses and Leonard Fournette loses, you know? So I, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, it's going to go to Javon Boykin just because it's a quarterback and it's so hard to win the Heisman Trophy now if you're not a quarterback. It well, really, since you're really talking does. about our guy, I just want to see Henry carry the team more. I think he can do it before the season's done, but I don't know that he's done it yet. Right. Another My guy, only... I th- another guy, I think that we now have to leave off by default that we would have had on there, and it's going to bring us to our next topic is Nick Chubb. Yeah. My goodness, yeah. very very sad what happened to him. a lot of sad stories this week. This is the one that kind of let everything off. Yeah. I'm hurting um, for the guy. That that play, if you haven't seen it, don't. Uh, just just go ahead and take my word for it. Don't watch it. Um, it's one of those Marcus Lattimore plays. You just don't yeah, ever really need to pretty, see it. Pretty gruesome, and we're seeing that a lot more often, too. We're not going to get into that right now, but just rattling off a couple. Chubb, uh, Kenyon Drake last year, Treadwell last year. Uh, you mentioned Marcus Lattimore a couple years ago. It's just It seems like it's happening a lot more, and it seems like it's happening to running backs. Uh, to star I, running backs. Yeah, to star players. I mean, Treadwell's was awful last year against Auburn. Um you know, and I just my heart goes out for Chubb. Um, you know, I I, I really I want to maybe one week when we don't have everything going on, I wanted to get into the conversation conversation of paying players or at least doing some sort of insurance policy or something, um, because guys like him, uh, you know, and I feel like this keeps happening to Georgia running backs, which just makes it even worse. Uh, it's it's just it's heartbreaking to see. It, it really is uh, a guy that had so much potential. I was really looking forward to seeing where he went the rest of the year. If it weren't going to go to Leonard Fournette, I, I thought it was going to go to him. 
now we may never know. Um, people saying now that uh, he might not be ready till the 2017 season. I mean, it's it's just it's sad. It really, really is. I hate that it happened to him. Uh, I, I wish him nothing but the best. I really, really do, and I hope that they can figure it out. And maybe he's one of those miracle cases like uh, Robert Griffin the uh, third, you know, that has knee surgery and bounces right back and he's fine. Um, I wouldn't I, say Robert Griffin the third was fine. I think a better one would be maybe be Willis McGahee. He's really the miracle sure. child for me. Sure. Well, I I, I don't know. I. I I know that Robert Griffin III wasn't fine, but that goes into the Redskins' problems, and I think you know yeah. if he's got a better offensive line, then he plays a lot better. But what I meant was his recovery time is the same. It's a similar I agree. recovery I time. agree, yes, yes. Um, Adrian Peterson as well. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm hoping it's like that. Uh, but, yeah, so heartbreaking for him. Really, really feel bad for the kid. Let's move on. Uh, huge news for both of us because we live in Florida now. Uh, Greer, the quarterback from Florida, uh, just – what happened? I mean, this news just came out of nowhere. Nowhere. Um, just, mm. People had been saying all fall. There was an article in August that someone posted yesterday uh, where someone had commented how much weight he was gaining. Uh, you know, th- that he was in the 185 range in the spring and then boosted up to 215 before the first game in the fall. Uh, wow. Wow. Um, just shocking news. Shocking news. And, and people all over Florida right now and all over college football saying, oh, well, that's not fair. You know, he didn't know it was to get over the flu. You don't gain that much weight from two weeks off of a flu medication. No, most of these most of these athletes know what they're doing to an extent. Uh, he, well, they tell they tell these guys um, the one of the first things they teach them when they get to campus is they teach them about taking supplements and talking to the team doctors and don't take anything that the team doesn't give you without asking if yeah if you take something enough and you're gaining that much weight I, I have a hard time believing that he didn't know that he was doing something wrong i don't think he knew the rules maybe and how big of a deal it was now i might be just speaking for the guy but i don't know that he knew how big of a deal what he was doing is causing and then he finds out probably a few days before we did that he is now looking at a season-long suspension, which would put him out the first seven games of next year. That is yeah. shocking. For a team that was on the rise, I mean, it stinks for Florida fans because he was playing lights out. I think 14 touchdowns with three interceptions so far this year. Um, just, you know, they're going to have to go. It's Treon Harris's show now, but it's it's it stinks for the fans, and it stinks for him. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, and, you know, the last thing I'll say about him is a lot of people are saying, oh, well, you know, uh, like I said, he had the flu and all that. Patrick, that was an epidemic on that team. There was six or seven other guys on that team that had the flu that week. Uh, They, either they got away with using the same stuff that Will Greer used, or they were smart enough to drop it off at the trainer and say, hey, can I use this? And the trainer said either, yeah, that's fine, or no, here, let me try and help you get another prescription uh and it's it's just it's sad i hate it for florida fans i don't feel bad for will greer i don't um because like you said i think he knew what he was doing even Uh, if it was to get over the flu i have to say this before i lose the thought even if it was to get over the flu what you don't go to you don't go pick up an over-the-counter supplement that is used i don't know you would go to your doctor. You would go to the team doctor. Yeah. He would prescribe you something that is not against NCAA violations. Sure. Maybe sure. the rule is too harsh, but the rule is the rule. And I'm thinking that maybe he didn't know 
yes, I'm breaking the roids rule. But he knew that he – I feel like he knew that he was circumventing. It was sketchy. It was circumventing sketchy. what you know what was right. Yeah. Sure, sure. And if I, I, the last thing I'll say about it, uh, if you want a good, genuine reaction to that news, Jimbo Fisher got told at his press conference uh, the other day, yesterday, I'm sorry, yesterday that that happened, uh, that Will Greer was suspended. Uh, and his reaction is just, you can see it in his face. He's almost he's he's almost sad uh, that it's happened. And, you know, he goes on and says, you know, that's why we tell our players, don't even think about stepping into the GNC before you take a medication. I mean, you know, he made it sound like they're getting tested constantly. Now, whether that's happening or not, I don't really know. I don't really know that much about the process in the NCAA, but I thought that was a really, really genuine reaction from Jimbo Fisher and something that, you know, I, I saw him step away from being a football coach and he became, you know, a person. He became a mentor in that moment. And just he, sort of Yeah, he's, he's a guy that, that I don't think there's ever been any doubt. He cares about the players, not even the ones he's coaching, but the ones he's coaching against. He's... He's yeah. a guy that's in it to help bring up these guys. So, yeah, it was a very genuine reaction. Um, so you're saying he wouldn't antagonize uh, Cam Robinson on the sideline and then get a penalty? I don't think Jimbo's going to be doing that anytime uh, soon. I don't either. Uh, I don't either. Another, let's, yeah, another, let's on move a on. Topic of another coach. Um, uh, this other thing. First, he was asked, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, the US, former USC coach now, First, he was asked to take a leave of absence. He checks into rehab for uh, for his alcohol troubles, and then we learn the next morning that he's being fired. Um, this is for me. This is the saddest story that we've got to talk about because yeah. this is this is a very serious problem that that many people, men and women, go through. Uh, various jobs throughout the country. This one just happens to be in the spotlight. Steve Sarkeesian. USC, you got to think, okay, everyone think about what your dream job is. You know, I'm imagining myself being the voice of the San Antonio Spurs right now, which is a team I haven't admitted to the podcast that I'm in love with. But I'm imagining being the voice of the San Antonio Spurs. And that all falls apart because of an alcohol problem I have and some other problems at home. It's USC was his dream job. Yeah. USC was the, the he, he climbed the rankings of head coaching to get to that job and just yeah. it's it is it's it's sad to yeah. see a man lose everything that he's worked for and dreamed about yeah to something as serious as alcoholism and it's it's something that's very real and there's a lot of people making jokes um and i i don't think it's fair uh you know i i think that it's just it, it's just sad i i don't know how else to describe it because it's just it's something that i can't believe is happening uh to a college football coach, I mean, you're such in the spotlight. Where does he even get time to do that? People saying that he may have been, uh, he may have been drunk at a game at the Arizona yeah. game. That's, uh, and the players, that and the players get mixed up all in that too, because they know. And so yeah. when it hits, when it hits the national media, now they're in the middle because they've know they the players have known for a while. You know when your coach is is drunk, and you know what what his his tendencies are. And so people are being asked about that, and it's just it's just a sad situation all around. And even if he does, and I pray and I pray that he does, land on his feet and fix the problem. When he lands on his feet, it's not going to be at USC. It's going to be it's it, it's it's something way down. What he it'll be like an Arkansas State or UNLV or he'll have to work his way back up. It's sad because that again that was his dream job. Yeah, I mean that was the yeah. thing that he and as a kid got... wanted to do. And now you've got players leaving. Uh, you've got players that are considering trans- – uh, starters considering transferring. You've got recruits flipping. 
Um, you know, it's just, I, I'm in shock. I, I really, really am. Um, now, obviously, there was that whole thing uh, preseason where he was drunk at a rally. I didn't think anything of it then. I didn't I, I, maybe that's a little naive of me. Maybe it really is. Maybe I'm just still in this mode of, you know, maybe you and I are both still in this college mode where, oh, yeah, he's drunk, whatever. Um, but it's just sad because, uh, like you said, it's this guy's dream job. I feel bad for his players. I feel bad for the program a little bit because uh, how many coaches is this in the past six years since Pete Carroll left? Uh, I mean, Lane Kiffin, Orgeron, Sarkeesian are three. Has it been four? Co- was there one more? I thought there was I think, one I think more. it's just the three. Uh, it may have, it may just be three, but, I mean, Patrick, this is now four coaches in the past six years then. Uh, that, And now they're going to have to hire someone in the offseason. Um, yeah. So who, who do you think they're going to take? Who do you think they take for this head coaching job at USC? We were talking about it before we started. I think two hot names that we're going to see pop up uh, are Chip Kelly and Kevin Sumlin. Yep, Chip Kelly's who I'm saying. I, I think that uh, – I think that Chip Kelly is ready to get back to college football. I think he's fallen a little bit into the Spurrier saving train of, you know, we're going to go to the NFL and try and take our, you know, talents to the next level. Um, and it just didn't work out. And I, I think that Chip Kelly is kind of ready to break back into the college game. And I think he's ready to come home to the Pac-12. Uh, now, whether or not after this season, Oregon might call him back. That's, that's still yet to be decided. Uh, some rumors circling there as well. But... I've got a hard time believing that if Chip Kelly doesn't take the Eagles far this season, if USC calls him, I I think he'll have a hard time uh, turning it down. Now, you mentioned him. Kevin Sumlin, I'm not sure that he's going to leave Texas A&M, Patrick. I'm not either. I'm not either, but... He's got a pretty sweet gig there, man. He does, but he's also... Because Texas doesn't have any recruits anymore. I mean, look at it. Who 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 are the Longhorns recruiting now? I know they beat Oklahoma. That's great. That's awesome. I'm really, really happy for you, Texas. That's cool. You're, you're still not – if I'm a recruit, you're still not kidding me. I, there's just no way. Uh, place is a dumpster fire. It, it, it is the Tennessee of the Big 12. The UTs are very comparable this year. Let's say that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think I think USC is, is hot of a job. I think USC is a top five, possibly top three job in the country. Um I'm gonna. I'll keep it with top five if I'm gonna. If I'm gonna think about Alabama, Texas, Florida is maybe the top three. Yeah. But A&M is not that. Um, A&M doesn't have the money in their athletics that USC does. USC, I believe, could offer more money, and that's really the only reason I say that, uh, because USC is just a higher profile job. But yeah. maybe not. That's money's not everything to everybody. I just threw that name out there because that's what I've seen on Twitter. Uh, yeah, big coach and another vacancy that needs to be filled. And this was really the clincher of the ch- the cherry on top of what was a humongous news day in college football. And I was actually typing up our list of things to talk about around the NCAA and how great it was going to be talking about all this stuff. And then as I was doing this late last night, Steve Spurrier announces that he is retired or resigning effective immediately effective as of monday night and they've named a new interim coach today he's done he is not the head ball coach of a football team right now which is weird to say whether it's florida the redskins or south carolina he does not have a job what is your reaction you know it's i i was never a huge fan of spurrier i always thought he was a little bit too cocky uh you know but he's a staple in college football history 
And as someone who appreciates college football, Patrick, I, I'm just I'm, I'm really really sad to see him go. But I said at the end of last year it was time. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bummed out that he went ahead and did it uh, while the season was going on. I feel bad for his players. I feel bad for his recruits who were probably looking forward to, you know, telling their parents, hey, I'm going to go play football for the head ball coach, you know. Um, at well, Florida, he was dominant. Uh, you know, at South Carolina, he listen, he brought the program back. Uh, you know, South Carolina's never been a huge program that's done great things in college football. No, but, they're, higher, they're higher profile now than they ever have been. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah. is, this is the top that, that USC's ever seen. This is the sweetest football they've ever seen. I actually don't hate that he's leaving right now because – He's seven years old. I think he's really earned his right to leave on his own terms. But I also feel like he just doesn't want to be a coach that sits around for multiple losing seasons. If he leaves now, the, re- he's not, the recruits that are signed on can go. They're free to go if they know they're not playing for Spurrier. And it at least let South Carolina know. He's not going to drop a bomb on them. Because I mean, if he said, hey, I'm retiring at the end of the season. This is my last season. Well, he's not the shortstop of the Yankees. It's... Yeah. A lot more has to be done to get a new head coach in and, and to get the balls rolling and, and get a new interim coach and maybe try him out. I mean, things already weren't working. There's no point in him sticking around, if you ask me. I, I didn't hate that he's leaving now. I was just shocked. Um, so, I, I mean. I, I don't like it because I think, you know, you're. Already, I mean, he's already, what, six, seven games in? Why, why now? You know, I don't so, know. It's not working. It's not working. He, it, it's, I, not, it's not working, but, I mean, at this point, man, why – okay, it wasn't working in week two or week three either. Why now? Why are you deciding now to leave? And, you know, it's it's just uh, – to me, if I'm a player, I mean, I get it because, like you said, he's old and it's Steve Spurrier. How are you going to get mad at him? But if this is Brett Bielema, we're talking a completely different subject. It's a completely I mean, different story, yes. You take away their prestige, Patrick, and this is this story is he abandoned his players. Uh, you know, he's, he's not worth it. And I, like I said, that's why I'm not being so hard on him is because it is Steve Spurrier. But at the same time, the season was already lost. I don't think anyone is thinking that South Carolina is going to contend for the SEC East. Although with the nightmare that that has become, it's a possibility. But <laughs> I just I, – I, I don't know. I just feel like you might as well have just stayed – unless he has a health condition. I just don't see why you wouldn't just stay and enjoy it. And remember, you know, this is my last season. And one thing that's worth noting is that he did say, and he came out and said this today, he's not retiring. He's resigning, which leaves the door open to uh, other coaching possibilities. He said something about maybe coaching a high school team. We'll see. I mean, huge. uh, he he is one of the most recognizable college football figures of all time, winning the Heisman, winning national championships at Florida, and putting Florida football on the map, going to the NFL, coming back, and putting South Carolina football on the map. That, and he's just a humongous personality, and – Throughout the years, he's had the quotes, and I mean, we're talking a good 30, 40 years of just endless quotes and moments. And Patrick, uh, well, let me let me ask you, what's your favorite Spurrier quote or moment? Well, you're gonna love this one because of your feelings toward Tennessee. Uh, we, I was thinking, of, I was thinking about a couple. Um, the most impressed I was with him was when he beat Alabama in 2010. But my favorite yeah. moment was uh, in the 90s, which I was young, so I don't actually remember this happening. It's just something I've read about over the years. He sent Tennessee to the Citrus Bowl three out of four years, I want to say. Three out of four, four out of five, something like that. And I've I've heard the quote plenty of times on Twitter. The, uh, you can't spell citrus without UT. That that was his quote. And and then the other thing about how he was talking about 
Peyton Manning came back for a senior year because he wanted to be the three-time star of the Citrus Bowl. That's awesome. That's <laughs> that is, just that is all harsh. You're quote. talking about you're talking about perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time, and he's yeah. They they really love my hometown <laughs> of Orlando. Uh, they they really really do. And I've been to the Citrus Bowl, and it's it's the Citrus Bowl. Uh, Patrick, my favorite thing, and I I didn't even know the story existed till last night, but it just encapsulated who I thought Spurrier was. Um, Danny Werfel, the uh, Heisman winning quarterback, uh, national championship winning quarterback in Florida, while Steve Spurrier was coach, uh, tweeted this last night. Ed Danny Werfel tweeted, uh, Spurrier to me once after an interception, quote, Danny, it's not your fault, dot, dot, dot. It's my fault for putting you in the game. Uh, and I just think that's hilarious because that's just, I mean, even if you're it's just a Heisman winning kid, quarterback too, when he, when he says that, uh, you're probably like, Oh my God, this guy's such a jerk. But looking back on it now, I know that Danny Warfel probably laughs about that pretty hard. Uh, well, he won the Heisman. We're not talking about Steven yeah. Garcia. We're talking about exactly. Danny Warfel. Exactly. Yeah, no. And you, you talk, you mentioned that 2010 game and while that's painful to mention, that's an Alabama team that hadn't lost a game in a season and a half. Uh, no, he put us in our place. He put us I, in I our place. I contend, Patrick, that that was the most uh, talented group. I won't say talented team because I don't think they gelled together as a team. But you just look at the stars from from that team. I mean, you had uh, Marcel Darius, Julio Jones, Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, Greg McElroy. I'll, yeah, I'm going to Cody, McElroy, all the classics. All the classics. Yeah, were I mean, the guys that you think of that started this great dynasty for Alabama were on that team. But that's uh, the biggest butt whooping i have wit- like beginning to end without any yeah. fluke plays with just domination it was, from it was quarter the first one time in alabama four. that i saw saving get out coach uh oh yeah horribly out coached too not a little bit um so steve spurrier thank you for all the memories uh i, I can't personally say that i liked you too much but i'm sorry to see you go i really am i, I feel like college football really lost something uh when that announcement came last night so uh We'll miss you. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, Patrick, let's let's move on a little bit. Who do you think is going to take that job? Oh, we were talking about this yesterday. I, there's a lot of guy. I, I think this is more of a coordinator job. Um, I don't I don't see a, a big or maybe like a, a, a someone from a small school coming and coaching. I mentioned yeah. Kirby Smart just for the fact that listen, these jobs Ooh. don't open up a lot, and he's due for one. Ooh. But you do you do have the belief that he's not going to leave for anything less than the Georgia job or the Bama job. Yeah, that may that's be true. That's what I think. There's never a guarantee that that ever opens up in his in, in in his time frame, and we've seen one bad season can really ruin you as a coach. Yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, and uh, I was talking to somebody about this the other night. I wouldn't blame Kirby Smart if he left tomorrow. Uh, well, yeah, middle of the season I would blame him, but you know, after this season, after next season, if he would have left after last season, the things he's done for Alabama. Uh, I don't think we can ever rightly repay him for. Uh, I I think that he's going to be somebody that goes down in history as one of the best assistant coaches in Alabama history, and I hope that one day one of the best head coaches in Alabama history. I wouldn't mind him be like a Mickey Andrews and just be an amazing coordinator for 30, 40 years. Yeah. That was the Alabama defensive coordinator that was amazing for seriously 30 years doing those FSU defenses yeah. and turned down multiple and a, or head, head coaching jobs just because he loved working with Bowden so much. But I, just, I, I don't see that with Kirby Smart. I don't, no, I don't because that's, that, that doesn't happen anymore. But I, would yeah. just, I wanted to talk about my boy, my boy Mickey for a minute. Uh, there, there are the Kyle Whittinghams of the world, and there, there are the, um, where are some, the, the offensive coordinator right now for LSU that's done some good things in other places. Um, 
and the def- the defensive coordinator. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I'm talking about Cam Cameron, the coach at LSU that's gaining a little bit of steam. Is Ed Orgeron is LSU? Ed, that's, yeah, Ed Orgeron. There it is. Uh, you know, I mean, he coached last year. He coached USC to a, a decent season when everybody thought it was going to be a nightmare because uh, Lane, Lane Kiffin left. Ever did. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and honestly, now looking back with the Sarkeesian news, I wouldn't be surprised if Orgeron packs his bags and heads back to USC, but maybe not with the way that they treated him. Uh, I think he's a guy that, yeah, could be an option for this uh, South Carolina job. You know, if they, if they offer him, I think it would be a good he's move an option for, him. for I could see him going to either USC job. He makes yeah. sense to, at South Southern California as well, just because he's familiar. All right. We're we're at about an hour now. We gotta we gotta keep moving let's, along here. Yeah, um, let's get some let's get some hot takes in. Give me hot some hot takes, takes, baby. All right, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say uh, we're just looking ahead towards the games of the week. Uh, college game day at Michigan, Michigan State. I'm gonna go ahead and take Michigan. I think the way that you see these teams trending, Michigan State really on the decline, while Michigan's really on the incline. That Michigan team is something to watch out for now, Patrick. Who you got? And Arizona State at Utah. Okay. I almost always pick the favor, but this is going to be the one where uh, I think that I'm going to actually pick the upset. Call um, the upset. I'm very, I'm very impressed with Utah. I think they're a very good team, and I think that they're borderline playoff. I do think they're a top ten team, but I don't know. This is just the one. Uh, this is I just smell upset here. I, I, I can't really put any rhyme or reason to it. This just doesn't seem like Utah's day. And Arizona State's yeah. still a good team that's lost some pretty rough games here and there. Um, I'm, I'm going Arizona State. Okay, I like it. I like the Auburn-Kentucky Thursday game. Auburn-Kentucky Thursday game. I think it's going to be one of the games of the week. I think it's going to be the most entertaining game. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried really hard not to laugh. I couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> Auburn is, is bad at football this year, and that's no secret. I think, uh, as one of their receivers said the other day, uh, quote, we want to prove that we're not as bad as people think we are. Um I think Kentucky is still sort of in a building phase with their college football program where they're trying to sort of move out of that mold of just a basketball school, which I think they'll always perpetually be in because their basketball program is so huge. But I do think that they want to be more of a presence in college football, and I think they're trending that way. I think it's going to be a really entertaining game. I'm going to take Auburn uh, by one. I'm going to take Auburn by one. I think it's going to be a really entertaining game, but they'll find some way to Auburn it. Uh, Patrick, SEC East showdown, Missouri at Georgia. Does it just not feel like the last couple of years with this Missouri team? They're not blowing us away. They're not doing anything particularly great. Things just seem to be lining up for them. I mean, I swear Georgia's now looks like they're not. Tennessee had the bad start to the season. Now Georgia can't get a win. Florida's losing their quarterback. Kentucky is now an outside chance of winning the division for crying out loud. Good and now you've got Missouri and Missouri yeah. last two years has found a way to sneak their way into the conference championship. I don't know what the, I don't know what the sec East is. So I'm just going to be all kinds of fun here. So you guys can sing my praises or just, I'm going to go with Missouri. I don't even know why. I, because well, Georgia's, Georgia's heartbroken. So now they lost their best offensive player. They don't really have a great quarterback. And Missouri is, I don't know, that's the trend for them. Yeah. I'm picking Missouri. Okay. I like it. I like it. I'm going to take our last game that we're going to talk about, Florida at LSU. With this information about Will Greer coming out this week, uh, I I just don't see Florida really having their head in the right place. 
Um, I feel bad for McIlwain, uh, another guy that, you know, I, I really like and respect and that I, you know, hope to see in a crimson polo on the sidelines one day. If I'm being honest, I wouldn't be mad at all. But uh, I, I'm going to take LSU in a landslide, too. Uh, this game's Death Valley at night. <laughs> Les Miles has had one of his memorable preference conferences yet again this week, and usually that's followed up by a big win. Uh, if you haven't heard it, you should probably go listen to it if you need a good laugh. I, he just, he's unbelievable. Uh, he's a quote machine. Um, that he is. That he I'm going to take LSU in a landslide, Patrick. Uh, so, you know, just this episode has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sorry we've gone over time, but I hope you understand. Uh, Patrick, it was, it was a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a busy week, you could say, uh, in college Man, football. I love it. I love it. I, I hope it's I love as busy it. every week. I love it. I love doing this podcast. I say it every episode, but this is really a great hobby for Patrick and I. We're always talking. We're always looking for you to talk to us too. You guys have been great about reaching out and really uh, getting to know us and listening to our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been episode seven. You can find our podcast in a lot of places uh, on Twitter at PI underscore podcast. You can go to Facebook and search Pat's Interference. That's P-A-T-S Interference. You can go to our website at patsinterference.com. Or guess what? We're on iTunes. That's right. Us, Kendrick Lamar, everybody, we're on iTunes. We're on iTunes. <laughs> Pretty Spears. We're as good as Pretty Spears right now. We're on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, that's a little throwback to a Georgia-Alabama quote from 2007, if you remember. But anyway, uh, Patrick, go ahead and give me your score prediction one more time for Texas. What did I say? 35-28 is what I said. No field goals. Team that gets less turnover starts off a little bit better. They're going to be the one that wins. I, I, I'm saying that uh, Texas A&M comes out hot, uh, but Alabama finishes the game strong. Very similar to the game uh, last time Alabama was in uh, College Station. I'm going to go 27-21 Alabama. May not end up being that close, but we really need Adam Griffith to play a good game. So Lord knows what's going to happen. Can't wait to talk about it in episode hey, 8. People, you know what we need to do? Hold on, what? real quick. You know what we need to do? What's that? We need to ask Tori every week and tweet it out. I, you know, I think I'm going to. I, I, I really think that we should just because I'm, I'm serious, man. She called it. I, I, had, I, I had very, very little faith that she would call it. Uh, and that's not me knocking on her. It's just it's very hard to nail a score like that. You and I have yet to do it this season. The closest I've come is three points. She drilled it. And I mean, didn't even, you know, just like throwing darts in bullseye. So that's all for us. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Officially on midnight day. on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, I've got to get to bed because i got to be up early in the morning. But no, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. Episode 8 coming at you next week. Hope we're talking about a big win in Texas A&M. If not, we'll get through it together. Thank you so much for listening, and roll tide, everybody. Peace. Peace.